So welcome everybody on Palm Sunday. You're all excited to be here today. I love Holy Week. It is just the most exciting time of the year uh, because in the Christian calendar, this is uh, the most important week of the year in the Christian calendar. It is what Paul says, without the resurrection, we have nothing. We have no faith to stand on. And so uh, today is the beginning of what kind of propels Jesus to go to what we call Good Friday, his death, and then his resurrection, which we celebrate next week uh, as Easter. But before Jesus had to do that, before he got to do that, uh, he had to tell everybody who he was. And so we're going to be looking at a passage in scripture today, John chapter 12. We're taking a break from our normal series. If you've been with us weekly, you know we've been going through Proverbs. So this week and next week, we're going to take a break from that uh, to celebrate Holy Week, go through it in scripture. If you haven't signed up for a Good Friday dinner party, I want to encourage you to do that. On Friday, we're gathering in different people's homes, uh, really in three different boroughs to take communion together, to eat together, uh, and to have a great time of community with one another. But what's important, I want to kind of explain some context before I read John 12 about what is happening before uh, Jesus makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Leading up to this day, some significant things happened in Jesus' ministry. Uh, right before this, right before Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he does something that kind of blows everybody's minds. Uh, in the book of John, there are seven miracles that take place. And this is the sixth miracle uh, that takes place, and it's his last miracle before going to the cross. And it's also his greatest public miracle besides his resurrection. What Jesus does is uh, one of his friends actually passes away. And three days after his friend passes away, he comes to the tomb. And the family of this friend is really upset with Jesus. And they, they tell him, you know, why did you take so long to get here? You could have healed him. He could have been all right. He could have still been with us today. Uh, and this, this friend of Jesus, his name was Lazarus. And when Jesus gets to the tomb of Lazarus, it says in scripture that Jesus wept. He literally was crying over the death of his friend, but he tells everybody else, essentially, don't worry. He was about to do something that was incredible and was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen in his own life. But before he does this miracle, he says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So Jesus is essentially telling them before he says a prayer over Lazarus that I am in charge of death and life. Everybody that comes to me will live. I am the one who bestows the resurrection on others. And after he says this, he looks into the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the greatest miracle up until that moment happens, a person who was dead for several days, who was wrapped, who was embalmed, all the things that happened, gets up and walks out. The crowd goes crazy. 
They love it. They can't believe what they're seeing. The religious rulers, they hate it. They get very upset. The crowd, what happened with the crowd is they see their salvation at hand in Jesus. They think, man, this guy, if he has power over life and death, then he is the real deal. But the religious rulers, they see something different. They see their power slipping from their hands. Every miracle that Jesus does, they see the people looking towards him and no longer looking towards them. And so what ensues from here is actually pretty crazy. After Jesus performs this miracle, he sees, he, he calls a dead man to walk and come out of his tomb, and the guy comes out. What happens? The religious rulers actually plot to kill Jesus because of this. And they also plot to kill Lazarus again. Because they said, now that this man has come alive, he's telling everybody about what Jesus has done. And he's making even more people follow Jesus. And so not only do they start to plot to kill Jesus, but they also begin to plot to kill Lazarus as well. And what happens is this sets the stage. Because no longer is Jesus able to hide who he really is. And no longer can the religious elite stand who he is. And the crowd no longer wants to keep quiet about who he is. And so what happens is on Palm Sunday that we get to celebrate is what's called the triumphal entry of Jesus. If you know anything about Roman history, they used to have something called a triumph. And whenever a conquering king was to walk into the city, into the capital, the crowd would come and cheer the return of the king or the coming of the king, if it wasn't a king, it was usually a general, an emperor coming in to celebrate the conquerings that they just had with their armies. And so Jesus is coming in to essentially finally reveal, yes, I am the king, I am the long-awaited Messiah, and I'm not going to tell everybody not to talk about it anymore. If you read John, you realize Jesus is constantly healing somebody and then saying, shh, don't tell anybody what I just did. You know, the very first miracle where he, he turns water into wine, the most widely understood miracle of Jesus that everybody wants to point out at all times. When his mother Mary asked him to do that, he says, my time hasn't come yet. And what Jesus was referring to was referring to what we celebrate today, Palm Sunday, his time to be revealed to people of coming, of saying, the person you have been waiting for is here. And so let's read from John chapter 12, verse 12, this historic understanding of Jesus' triumph into Jerusalem. So it says, the next day, this is after everything we talked about happens, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him 
and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. They heard what happened to Lazarus. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The reason why this day is significant is because there are two acknowledgments that happen here as Jesus, as king, that hadn't happened before. And that's why we celebrate what happens here in this passage. So I want to talk about the first acknowledgement first that happens here is the crowd's acknowledgement of Jesus as Messiah and king. It says in verse 13 that they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So first, the, the crowd, to acknowledge Jesus, they go and they get palm branches. So if you ever wondered on Palm Sunday why on your way out we have palm branches for you, this is why. Uh, because it is a symbol of what happened on this day that we get to celebrate and welcome and remember that Jesus has come as our king and our savior. But the palm branches back then actually had a lot of cultural and political significance uh, to the first century Jews. Uh, they weren't just kind of grabbing some branches and throwing them on the floor. They were actually saying something when they brought these branches before Jesus. Religiously, what these branches uh, were doing was during that time they had in their liturgy, in the church liturgy, if you've ever been in uh, a Catholic church, you understand that liturgy is when the congregation kind of repeats back with the pastor and we say things together. So the Jewish people had liturgy, specifically in one of their feasts, and during the liturgy, what they would do is they would uh, carry the branches when they would speak this liturgy, and what that was to them during the Feast of Dedication is they were saying that the palm branches were a symbol of victory, it was a symbol of resurrection, and it was a symbol of authority. And so when they were coming before Jesus with the palm branches, they had religious overtones that they were saying that you are bringing victory, you are bringing resurrection, and you are in authority. But also these palm branches had political overtones to them. So 150 years before Jesus comes on the scene, something happened in uh, the history of Israel. They had the Maccabean Revolution. And what happened was this man, Simon Maccabee, the Syrians were in control of Jerusalem at this time, and they were profaning the temple. And Simon stands up and he says, I can't take this anymore. And so what he does is he, he leads a revolt against the Syrian oppressors, kicks them out of the temple, restores the practices of the temple, and helps defeat the yoke of the Syrian oppression over Jerusalem. And when... He was welcomed into the city, Simon, after defeating the Syrian oppressors, they welcomed Simon with palm branches. And since that happened, palm branches for the Jewish people became a national symbol. Like this was a way of them having national pride whenever they would have their palm branches. It, it meant that we do not stand the oppressor. And if you know about Jewish history at this point, Rome was now the occupier of Jerusalem. 
And so they're saying, here is our Savior. Here is the person that is going to lift the yoke, lift the oppression even of the Roman Empire over God's people. You know, imagine for us during a presidential debate, you know, a bald ego just kind of flies in during the room and lands on one of the candidates. You know, that would, that would be the story for months to come, you know, no matter what happened, uh, because that, the bald eagle is American. When you think of America, when you think of the flag, you, you always think of the bald eagle. And none of us have ever probably seen one before in our life, a real one, with your live action. If you have, very cool, I envy you. Um, but also, you know, those things have like eight-foot eight wingspan, so it would be pretty amazing if one of them landed. But we would take that as a symbol of like, man, maybe this person is supposed to be our next president. You know, if we, if we want to get religious, you know, just imagine during the debate, instead of the bald ego coming, that, you know, the, the next president is speaking, and then a white dove just kind of lands on their, soul, uh, on their shoulder. Everybody would be like, oh, my goodness. Did you see that dove? Did you know that when Jesus was confirmed by God the Father that a dove landed on his shoulder? And that's a symbol of the Holy Spirit being on top of the next president. All right? so th these are the things. So whether right or wrong, this is how we would be feeling as a people if this happened. And so this is kind of how Israel is, is they're coming together. The crowd in Jerusalem is saying this, this is him. We, we, we are bringing out our palm branches to, to symbolize, to say that this is the next thing that is supposed to happen. Our, our king has arrived. The, the savior has come. The Messiah, the long-awaited person, has entered into Jerusalem in this kind of triumph, saying that, look, everybody, the, the king who is coming is the king who is now here. The second thing the crowd does is they quote Psalm chapter 118. And, the, and Psalm chapter 118, 25 to 27 says this. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord, which that line means Hosanna. The crowd starts off with Hosanna. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And then the crowd says this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light. To shine upon us. So if you read Psalm 118, Psalm 118 is originally served as a king's psalm. And that's how the people of Israel understood the psalm of 118. And so when they see Jesus coming in and they, and they start screaming, Hosanna, salvation is here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they are saying is that we understand that the king has come. They are quoting Psalm 118, fully acknowledging what it means and the implications because the psalm celebrated God's kingship first and foremost and then the king's role as Yahweh's representative among his people. And we know that the crowd means it this way because they add something that's actually not in this psalm. A after they're done qu quoting Psalm 118, they say something else. They say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So when they add this at the end, they're just making sure. If you didn't know what Psalm 118 stood for, if you didn't understand the implications of this, well, we're going to let you write, we're going to let you know, this is about the king of Israel. This is who we're 
celebrating right now. So the crowd knows exactly what they are doing and who they are proclaiming Jesus to be. Now, if you read the Gospels, you understand about Jesus' life is not a lot of people understood who he was. In every conversation he's having, you know, Jesus even does a check-in with his disciples. He's been with them for years, and he's like, you know, what do people say about me? And, and people say, well, they say you're a prophet. They say you're Elijah. They, they say this. They say that. And then Jesus goes, but what do you guys say about me? And they say, well, you're the king. You're the coming Messiah. He says, wow, God has revealed that to you, right? Not a lot of people knew, but at this point, everybody knows. The crowd knows. The people know. This is who Jesus is. There is no longer any escaping it. But the second acknowledgement that happens is the acknowledgement that Jesus makes. In verse 14, Jesus tells his disciples to get him a donkey to ride in on the city. And what Jesus is doing here is he is fulfilling one of the greatest messianic Old Testament prophecies about what the Messiah was supposed to do. And what the narrator does here in John is he says, just in case you don't know what Jesus is doing, I'm going to fill you in here. And he quotes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And if we read Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, what the narrator quotes, we read this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is incredible. Because even though Jesus was telling people, don't talk about me every single time he performed a miracle for three years, now he is saying, you know, essentially, what is the most messianic thing that I can do? And the most messianic thing that he could do was going to get the donkey and riding on the donkey into the capital, into Jerusalem. He is proclaiming himself at this point that he is king, that he is Messiah. And what he's saying is he's saying, yes, I am the coming king. I am the one you have been anticipating. I have been the one that you have been waiting for. Up until this point, for over 300 years, there wasn't a prophet that had spoke into Israel the oracles of the Lord. And so for 300 years, they were in a dry season of hearing from God. They hadn't had a prophet like Elijah. They haven't had a prophet like Habakkuk. They haven't had a prophet like Jeremiah come. And so here is a person proclaiming, I am not a prophet. I am greater than a prophet. And I have come as the Messiah and the King. You know him as the coming King. Well, now you can celebrate him as the King who has come. That is the significance of what Jesus is saying there. And you got to just kind of realize the anticipation of Israel for this. Like I said, they were waiting 300 years. They hadn't heard the oracles of God. This is, this is a people that for over a thousand years had consecutively had prophets speak into their people. Whether they were as a nation completely in sin or as a nation being obedient to God, God was always sending his prophets. 
And so for hundreds of years, at this point, they were just waiting, God, where is the Messiah? And the anticipation was building generation after generation. And I think for, for our generation, I was like, kind of, what, what do we anticipate? And it's just like, it's when you're waiting for that Netflix show to drop, and they give you the date. And, and you see the, the coming attraction. You know, I, I hate when they do this on Facebook. Netflix, right after like a good season comes out, they put a coming attraction to season two, like a day after the season comes out. And you realize, I have to wait a whole year until season. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. And so the anticipation built when that, you know, that, that thing that you have been waiting for, whether it's your, the new sneakers that are about to drop, that show, that movie, that, those lines, you know, the, the new iPhone, when there used to be lines wrapping around the block, they would always show people camping out outside for this thing. That was the anticipation that Israel was under, that this is what we're looking for. There is nothing else that we want to see. And that's why the crowd comes in droves. Because as a nation, there could be nothing else that they want. There could be no greater anticipation for what Jesus was proclaiming himself to be. But what I love about this is not necessarily just what Jesus is proclaiming, although that is significant and I do love that. But what I love about this is why Jesus coming is good news for us, even still today. Because Jesus, when he fulfills the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, he is saying that what Zechariah chapter 9 is talking about, I am that king, I am that person that this that this prophecy, that this oracle had foresaw was going to come to Israel and into the world. And as I began to dig deep into Zechariah 9, I began to see the implications of what that means for us today. See, if we think that the historical Jesus is just a historical factor and has no implications for us today, that's where I want to say that you are wrong. Because historical Jesus has present realities for us today. Historical Jesus has a present manifestation of what it means today to accept Jesus as not only the coming king into our life, but now the Messiah and the king that we worship who has come and who reigns today forever and ever, whose kingdom is everlasting, who is king of kings and lord of lords, who sits on the throne of David, who God promised David that I will give you an heir who will be, have a throne that is everlasting and the kingdom will never pass away. And so when Jesus was coming saying, I am this king that is coming, he was saying that the king that was promised was not only a king that was promised to Israel, but a king that was promised to all of the people of God forevermore. And the good news is what this king has brought with him. The first thing in Zechariah chapter 9, that this king brings with him, we already read in verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Have you ever wondered why sometimes we just get loud in church? You ever wonder why sometimes as people just... You know, just, just scream praises to the Lord or, or we get loud with our volume. It's because we know what Jesus has done in our life. And when you know 
what Jesus has done in you. I'm telling you, Jesus even told his disciples, if they did not shout, guess what? The rocks would have cried out. But when you understand that Jesus has brought salvation, when you understand that this king was not a king to lord over me in a way that was subjective and and painful and, and hurtful, but this king, when he came, he brought with him, it says, salvation. Salvation from our sins. Salvation from the evil of this world, salvation from the oppression of the empire, salvation from all the things that want to bring us under. I can tell you that in my life, I've experienced the salvation of Jesus. And when it comes to praising him for the salvation that I've received, I'm going to stand like the prophet says and says, rejoice greatly, shout aloud because salvation is coming in your king. The one who is righteous is here. And when you have experienced salvation from your sin, there's just, there's nothing that you can do at that point but rejoice to shout aloud because One thing I've learned about salvation is the more I get to know Jesus, the more I realize how little I deserved his salvation. And the the deeper I get to go in God, the, the deeper the meaning of this good news becomes for me. See, a lot of times the the good news of salvation, when we become stale as Christians and we stop growing and we stop getting closer to Jesus, it becomes secondhand knowledge. Oh, yeah, 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 I know he saved me. But when you begin to actually get get close to God and, and, and get close to who he is and to his righteousness and his justice and his holiness, the more you begin to rejoice over your salvation because the more you realize how little you deserved it. And so when I praise over the salvation of my soul today, I praise God because I realize how little I deserved it, yet how graciously he gave it. That today we get to celebrate this king who has come. Because not only did he mean salvation for the people who welcomed him that day in his triumph in Jerusalem, but it has meant salvation for all of us today who sit here. Salvation from the things that haunt us in our life. Salvation from the sins that we thought would never be things that we would ever stop doing. Salvation from the dirt in our heart that we have hid from every single person that God knows. And scripture says that even while we were still sinners. So even while we still had the dirt in our heart. Even while we were still had the evil deep at the core of who we are. Even when we were still wrapped up in the sinfulness of our nature. At that time is when he came and brought righteousness and salvation with him. Then the second thing in verse 11, it says, and it says, as for you also, in, the, in Zechariah chapter 9, it's still prophesying about this coming king. It says, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Let me tell you, Jesus is good news because he sets us free. Jesus is good news because we have freedom from the prison 
of habitual sin. We have freedom from the prison of anxiety. We have freedom from the prison of depression. We have freedom from the prison of insecurity. When Jesus was declaring his kingship, he was saying that the prisoners are now free. When the prophet, when Zechariah said, rejoice at the coming king because when he comes, he will set the prisoners free because of the blood of his covenant. We get to rejoice on the other end of that and say, thank you, God, because I have been set free by the king who reigns over me now. That this is not a prophecy for my future. This is a present reality for my life today. That I serve a God who looks at my bondage, who looks at my oppression, who looks at my anxiety, who looks at my depression, who looks at my sin, and he says, you are free. He looks at the things around me, and he says, I am greater. I break those chains. I am more powerful Nothing can bind my sons and my daughters. I want to tell you today, saints, whatever prison that you felt that you are in, I want you to walk out today realizing that the one who has come, has come and has set you free. Your king has arrived. Your king is here to set you free from captivity. And whatever that captivity has looked like, whether it's been mental, whether it has been physical, whether it has been emotional, know that in Christ, the good news for you is that you are no longer a prisoner, but you walk in freedom today. In verse 14, it says this. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord will, go, will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them. Man, God, this king, he protects us from the enemy. Man, I'm telling you, I am tired of defeated Christians. I'm tired of, tell, of people telling me that I need to be scared of the enemy. I'm tired when I, I, I get the thoughts that say, Justin, it's time for you to be scared because whatever this or this is going to happen. I'm tired of a church that acts defeated like Satan hasn't been defeated by the Lord of hosts, by the Lord of armies, like he hasn't come already and put Satan in his place. Because let me tell you, church, we have the greatest protector in Jesus as king. He will protect us from the enemy. Not only will he protect us, but he will fight for us. Do you know that one of the names of God is the Lord of armies? That he has armies on his behalf that do battle for the saints. That he is not only a king who just sits on a throne and is happy while his subjects suffer. But he is a king who will send out his armies and he will say, no, you're under my protection now. You're behind me today. 
when I am under the king, the king who has come, I've learned that I don't need to be worried or scared about the enemy because I have a protector in heaven that is sovereign, that controls everything that happens. And he is going before me in all the things I do. He is the one that sets my path straight. He is the one that guides my steps. He is the one that lights the path in front of me. He is the one that protects me from all that this world has to throw at me. Our king is our protector. It says in verse 16, on that day the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. This king is good news because he is established as precious. He has established us as precious. He has established us in a home. And this is a home where, this is not where we just live in some corner and squabble, but this is a home where it says that we are like jewels on a crown where we shine. Some of us have had this mentality because of maybe what people have said or maybe that how we've grown up, that yeah, God accepts me, but I, I just need to stay in this state of defeat, of, of, of sadness that, he accepts me into his home, but I'm so bad I get put in a corner and I, I'm in time out in the house of God. But what does he say here? What does the king do? It says, for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his head. That he not only gives us a home, he not only establishes us, but we shine in his land. We shine like that precious jewelry. And we know our worth with the king. See, Jesus is coming as king is good news. It's good news for us because it means our salvation. Our salvation from our sin. Our salvation from the darkness of this world. It means Freedom from every place that we are bound. It means protection from the harm of this world and our enemies. And it means establishment as precious on safe land before our God. When Zechariah 9 talked about the coming king, Zechariah was prophesying a day when Jesus would be revealed in glory and would sit on a throne and that this would be true for all of his people. And today, the triumph that Jesus took to walk into Jerusalem and was fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, was an establishment of who the people of God would be before the king in the throne room of heaven. And an oracle was coming true that day. That the people of Jesus, under his lordship and under his rule, would have salvation, would have freedom, would have protection, and would be established. And when we celebrate Palm Sunday, what we celebrate is, is the coming king. 
the one who was prophesied, the one who came, the one who, who the crowd put palm branches before and screamed, Hosanna, salvation is here, and who rode in on a donkey to make sure that all of his people would know the king is here. The king who brings salvation, the king who brings freedom, the king who brings protection, the king who establishes his people. He is here and his kingdom is everlasting. He is here and he is the king of kings. He is here and he is the Lord of lords. He is here and he is the alpha and the omega. He is here. He is the beginning and the end. And nothing can stand in his way. No sin is too great. No chain is too thick. No bondage is too strong for him to break the oppression and the load of the enemy. For us to rise with him in his resurrection. So that we can be like him in all things. In his death and in his raising from the dead. That we may share in his power. That we may share in all things with him. Today, I want to encourage you, if you want to receive that good news, to receive Jesus as king in your life. To say, Jesus, I may have thought about you as a good person. Maybe I thought about you as a prophet. Maybe I thought about you as, as a significant historical figure. But today, I want to acknowledge you as Lord and Savior of my life, as king. Well, the good news today for you is that he welcomes you. His salvation has come and is here for you to receive it and to be transformed by it. When we pray for people later, I'm going to invite you to come up here and pray with us. But I also want to invite you to journey with us as a community. It's important to be around people so that you understand that the depth of that decision to understand what it means to really follow Jesus as Lord and as King, to no longer submit to my desires and my wants as King, but to submit to Him as King. And when I do that, receive all the benefits of His kingship over my life, His salvation, His freedom, His protection. Some of you today need a reminder of who Jesus is. That Jesus is not some wimp that cannot confront the worst in us. That cannot confront the darkness in our hearts and win. He is a king that has an army behind him that has faced worse than your sin. He has faced worse than your depression. He has faced worse than your oppression. He has faced worse than your bondage. And guess what? He came out on the other side victorious. And the bondage and the sin that you have made set in your home or by yourself, that this is too much for you, God. He wants to remind you today that nothing is greater than him as king and savior. I'm tired of the children of God going around acting like they don't serve the king of kings and lord of lords who is mighty to save, scripture says. Remember that he is a king that comes with an army who brings salvation, who brings freedom and protection everywhere he goes. Can you stand with me and pray?